0: Oh no! The symbols. I thought I would take you back to my youth. (laughs) (laughs) Means that um, the majority of students don't think that I was ever young. Okay, if you've got a Bible, please could you turn with me to the book of John? Uh, We're looking at the moment uh, at the first chapter of John, and. We are on one verse this morning. So John chapter 1 and uh, verse 15. (laughs) (laughs) Just so that any of the old ones know, do you know where that backdrop came from? It was a quiz show that used to be on the telly. Come on. Do you want me to do it again? Go back the other way. Oh, oh, thank you. Okay, that's where it came from, okay. Okay, John chapter 1, verses 15. John uh, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now let's just try and um, get rid of the confusion because there are just so many Johns that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the writer of the book uh, of, uh, is John, and John is the Apostle John. He's one of the, the disciples, and he's going to tell us about another John, John the Baptist. And it is this John the Baptist that bore witness about him so it's the John the Baptist who b- b- bore witness, and the him is Jesus. Confusing, yes, uh, and uh, so just too many Johns. I, I never know quite why they do that, but there you go. So that's who we're talking about. The book is the, is the Apostle John. The person that we're talking about is, the, is John the Baptist, and him who John the Baptist is referring to is Jesus. It's interesting that the the Greek word for bore witness is the Greek word martureo, martureo. And what it means is to affirm that one has seen, heard and experienced something. So it isn't just that John the Baptist is referring to something that he's seeing, which you can do. or something that he's heard, a story that has been told, he's he's, he's saying, I've not only seen it, I've not only heard it, I have actually personally experienced it. Three things. And those three things are very important in regard to Jesus. Because Jesus is actually uh, the person, he wants us not only to hear him, not only to see him, but to experience him. And the Greek word bore witness is what we would actually say a Christian is. A Christian has borne witness. They have heard, they have seen, and they have experienced Jesus. So the question is, what, John's, what did John see, hear, and experience? Well, yes, it was Jesus, but it was something that had an effect. If you look at those words here, uh, it, it says that he cried out, um, He wasn't unmoved by what he saw, heard and experienced. Something happened within him that caused him, when he'd gone through this experience of, of seeing, of hearing and experience, the only reaction was to cry out. So you can tell how your Christianity is doing, Christians, if Jesus causes you to cry out. That is the point of it. The point of it is that Jesus engages us in our lives and there is an effect to it. And you can see that just in those... So now you know what a Christian is and and the response of a Christian. All in those verses. Theologically wonderful, isn't it? And and it it really... And I want to take you on a journey because the journey that I want to take you on is that still some of us are struggling to cry out. And we're going to come to that a little bit, what, what caused John the Baptist to cry out? And we'll answer that question a little bit later on. And what causes us not to cry out? So, what did, Jesus, what did John the Baptist see? Well, I think that he saw his eternal nature. He says this in, in that verse, he says, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That seems on the face of it to be a, quite a strange statement because John the Baptist says that Jesus was before me. Now, actually, that isn't true because John the Baptist was older than Jesus. He was older, which must mean that John the Baptist is talking about something else. It means that John the Baptist stood in front of Jesus and had a glimpse of eternity and had a glimpse that Jesus was not just a man, but was from eternity himself. There was something eternal that was standing in front of me. Now I know that when you stand in front of me, you don't see that (laughs) in some ways. Because the body's... But actually, a Christian also is eternal. That's what happens. So... Here's the wonderful thing. You may look at this body and think, well, three school years and ten and a little bit of grace. But I can tell you, because what Jesus has done in my my life, you are actually looking at an eternal person. And actually your brother and sister. But we'll come back to that a little bit later. So, okay, let's try and work this out theologically. Are you ready for a little journey? Okay, right. The Apostle John, who actually wrote the last book in the Bible and the book that we are reading in, quotes God. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. This is not Jesus talking, this is God. He calls himself I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Strange thing to say, is it not? In Greek, uh, Greek, uh, in the Greek alphabet, what we're trying to get to understand is that there's nothing uh, before Alpha and there's nothing after Omega. And so it is with the reality of God. There is no before God. There is no after God. He is in all time absolutely always there. You go, oh, my head's gone. No matter how far back you go, and you can go back as far as you want, God is. And no matter how far you go forward, God always will be. He is absolutely reality of all time. Now then, this is essential because in the Old Testament, God is called Yahweh or Jehovah. And it is built on the verb, the same verb, to be or I am. And when Moses asked God his name, he he sort of had a chat and sort of said, well, come on then, who who are you? It was sort of, you see that chant at football grounds, don't you? But this is about God. He said, who are you? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people, I am has sent you. I am has sent me to you. That's Exodus chapter 3, verses 14. Now to be I am is to be absolutely the first and the last. It's the same thing. Or, there is no before me, and there is no after me. I simply am. That's who God is. I I am. And God uh, says this again, He repeats that through in the Old Testament uh, to His prophets to try and describe His nature. So we see him talking to the prophet Isaiah to tell the people in you know, Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6. He says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord God of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no other God. That's who I am. This is my nature. I, I am eternal. I was before before. I'm after after. That's who I am. Isaiah 48, he says it again. I think he says it again because a little bit later, the, the, the people are still struggling with the concept. So the prophet comes again. It's like that, isn't it? You say to me, Nigel, I, do you only have one sermon? Yes, that's because you didn't get it the last time. That's, that's what the prophet does. So he repeats it again, four chapters less. Than, listen to me, oh Jacob. So that's a sort of waggy finger thing. You didn't listen to me in the first place. I did say this to you, but you didn't listen to me. So... Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Got it? Um, we're all right. It doesn't say it again after that. His name is Yahweh. His name is Jehovah. His name is Alpha and Omega. The one who is absolutely, eternally, invincibly is. He just is. Shocking. Said it was a bit of a theological thing. He has the unique honour of always having been. There's not been a time where God has not been. When there was nothing else. There was no nothing else to God. That's an extraordinary statement in itself, isn't it? Can you think about that one? You know, well, there was not there was never a time when there was nothing else. Nor will he be outlived or outlasted by anybody. He can't be. He always—he just is. And this is what it means to be God. How do you define God? In today's world of many religions and many things, God is defined by the very fact that I am Alpha and Omega. I am, I'm Yahweh, I'm Jehovah. I was before. I he describes himself by that part of his nature. So what does this have to do with Jesus in this book of John chapter 1? What does this have to do with that? I want to suggest to you this has everything to do with Jesus. Because a little bit later in the book... Jesus decides to reveal who he is to the people that are listening to him. We know earlier on that other people have revealed who he is, but Jesus decides to nail it. Let's nail it. Let's tell you who I am. Now you have to listen to the language that I've just been explaining to you in Jesus' words. Because he turns to them, that's the crowd, that's the people... And he says to them, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What he was saying then, and it would have been an absolute shock. They, they would have been very stirred by this statement. Really stirred. They would have been upset. They might, some might have been angry. Some might have thought, I can't understand this person. And we read it as sort of like something we read on a Sunday morning as part of our worship. This was a shocking statement. This actually could have ended up in death. He, because he says, I am God, and before the person that you hold in very high esteem, Abraham, the one that you say is your father, I was. He was saying, I am eternal. I am God, I am eternal, I am all of these things. Jesus says later on to his disciples, he said, uh, I like this, he said, before it takes place, that's when it does take place, uh, which I assume is turning to the death and resurrection, I'm going to do these things so that you might believe I am. So what he's saying to them is that not only am I telling you this, but so that I can demonstrate who I am, I'm going to go, go through the thing which I'm just going to tantalize in his aid to you and call it that. That refers to the resurrection and the death of Jesus Christ. So that you might know that I'm God. So that you might know that I'm eternal. I will go through this to demonstrate who I am. Wow. Wow and that you'll believe, so that you will know those sort of things. Jesus is fully God, therefore, and He's also the Alpha and the Omega that we read. Jesus is eternal. So, we get to John chapter 1, don't we? Verse 1, which Phil eloquently preached on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What John the Baptist saw and experienced, his experience was that he touched eternity that must have been an amazing moment suddenly john the baptist his eyes are open his experience what he's seeing in front of him is a glimpse of eternity do you know how different that makes life Mm. that makes life hugely different if we can glimpse eternity everything changes folks it just does and that's why it changed for him So, what is the key point here? I'm going to read it so that I get it right. I had five goes at writing this and I still couldn't get it right. What does that mean for me? It simply means this there is only one person that can give you eternal life, and it is the one who is eternal himself. You can't give what you haven't got. But because he has it, he can give it. Now why is that important? Because all other gods live and die. See that? But Jesus Christ has never lived and died. He he has on our world, in the sense of the incarnation and the resurrection and the death... But because he was Alpha and Omega and always was, he is the one that is truly able to give what he is. He gives of himself to you. So when you say that you receive Jesus, you receive his eternity within you. And he's the only one in all of our earthly history that can do this. That's why it says in the Bible, there is no other gods like him. He gives etern- this is so important, folks. We need to know this in terms of when we talk. Be, you can't receive what you can't what you aren't. So all other gods cannot give you eternal life because they are not eternal. But Jesus, woohoo, can <laughs> because he's eternal. How can I know that I will receive eternal life? Because Jesus is eternal. factoid. It's brilliant, folks. How can I know that I will not die? How can I know I will go to heaven? Not because of my behavior, because of who he is. He's eternal. He's given me his life. Whoopie doo. It, uh, to quote Steve, right? Okay. <laughs> so we see this. So you, and, and as you go along, you see people. You know, you know, do you ever find this with. I'm like this with jokes. What happens with jokes? But we were in the car the, um, just this week and Steve and Phil were talking about a sketch on the, te- on the television which involved some person talking about two soups, which I have got no idea. See, some people are going, yeah, I know that sketch. And, and, and they, were, they were trying to explain it to me and, and trying to explain this sketch. In the time of it, that they were just laughing. And I'm just looking like some sort of ignorant person thinking that, and they were, then they, the conclusion that they said, you just don't laugh at jokes, do you? That's what they said to me. (laughs) I just want you to know, I've never seen it, and I will see it at some stage, but I'm just slow, alright? So what happens is that John the Baptist gets the eternal thing, and suddenly, a little bit later on, other people get it. And that's the way that it is with Christian life. You don't have to get it immediately, but Please, will you get it at some time? That's the point. Don't, let, don't go through all this life not getting it. The idea with God is that he wants you to get it. He will give you a little bit of grace to catch up. This is what happens here. So John chapter 6, Simon Peter answers, and the light goes on and he goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? And he thinks back and he goes, you've the words of eternal life. The light goes on. Suddenly, the light goes on. You are the only one who has the words of eternal life because you are eternal. Now, now, now we're alright because two's got it now John's got it Peter's got it two got it ten ovens but we're okay John then writes remember this John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life he gives what he has so what is the response to this? <laughs> the first thing is you, if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, if you believe that, that, that he died in your place for your sins, and let's not make it more complicated because sometimes we have to think that you don't have to read great Louis Burkhoff or anything else to become a Christian. That's the thing. You just have to believe Now, if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was God himself, that he did come to this earth so that he could die in your place for your sins, then you can receive the gift of eternal life. It isn't more complicated. You don't have to be 37 and a half. You just have to believe. So here's the first part. Today, you might say, I see this. I want to believe in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. If you do, do not leave this place until you've done that. That's the first thing. We would like to pray with you. If you believe, then we will pray. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Don't lose the privilege of having having eternal life. It isn't like... I, 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 I have texts from my daughter you get another mention in a little bit later on and it goes like this the coffee is on offer in morrison's do you wish to me to purchase it and you can feel the delight and the excitement over the the pack of coffee and Callie's going respond respond (laughs) respond to the coffee And it's just, go now, have the coffee. Almost as if life will... What will happen if we don't have coffee? (laughs) My life will just wither. And I will end up like some sort of dead prune because i've not had the coffee and in our house we're going have the coffee should we have the coffee we're checking the cupboards <laughs> we've got no coffee must have the coffee get the coffee text text is gone oh we've got the coffee <laughs> and it's just like it's just madness over this thing 225 what a bargain while oh, we're off and then what happens is that you go and it's true isn't it you go text <laughs> Ralph do something but is, is it not true and then but I want you to imagine another text here you go text you have the gift of eternal life oh really and, but it, you know sometimes we can get our our, our house could be explosive about coffee and Non-reactionary about the gift of eternal life. Please, can we stir us in terms of thankfulness, in terms of eternal life? When it says it's the gift, it means it's the best gift of God ever. And it is much better than 225 coffee in Morrisons. Please, will you be thankful to what you've received? Thirdly... will you please live eternally you are eternal that's what you have to think of you often we've got we think about life and life really is this life no life is that life and what we do is we we get so stressy don't worry about this life and it is like that. We we sort of our hopes, our aspirations, our, our dreams, our visions and everything is this life. Will you please stop that, Christian? You are a pilgrim, pilgriming through to this land. I'm going to say something really outrageous now. I'm just going to upset all the overseas students' parents because I know that they have spent millions. I'm going to upset student employees of the university. But in terms of God's magnificent plan, it doesn't matter whether you get your degree. It doesn't what good will he do you idiot you 're not going to turn up on the gates of heaven and you 're going you 're going to turn black gown the purple, hate the purple, but you 're the purple dragging down the thing like that the hat that we can 't do like this. the scroll under him he 's going to let me in it's, come on, guys, that includes work and all those sort of things. We have to think, it's a, look guys, I'm just, dear mom and dad, I want them to get their degrees, I want them to work hard, but I want them to live eternally too. Yeah. That's the point. the point. The point is this, that we, we, our life actually is not yet begun. Move on because you're in trouble. <laughs> oh look, Woo! blockbusters. Sure. Can anybody remember the theme tune? Can you no, God <laughs> <come on. laughs> everyone is bar ba bar 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 ones okay Here you come he he saw uh his import uh he saw his importance in comparison to himself that's he sees Jesus, and he compares him to himself. He who comes, be, comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. The word, uh, the Greek word for rank, is protos. Uh, he is first in time, first in place, first in rank, first in importance of influence, first importance of honor. He's the chief of chiefs. He's the principles of principles. He's the first amongst the firsts. Okay, that's, that's, what, that's what John the Baptist is saying. When he says that word, he ranks. They go, oh, okay. That would have been a dangerous thing to say because he's saying it publicly. He was saying it into a political <laughs> environment uh, where emperors and all that sort of stuff class themselves as gods and class themselves as important. So this could have caused death. He's already in trouble once, now he's in trouble again. John the Baptist says, he ranks before us. He's saying, I listened to him, I saw him, I experienced him, and in every way, Jesus is more important than me. Now, I actually still think that this is a biggie, folks. I think it's a biggie in my life. I think it's a biggie in most Christians' lives. I think this is the biggie in terms of uh, winning the nations for God. Still is. I still think that our biggest battle that we fight fight as Christians is actually settling this one. Yet I believe it can be the most liberating and freeing things that you can ever settle in your heart. Saying his wants, his desires, his plans, his ways. In fact, he himself is more important than me. You can always tell, how do you plan your diary? Is it planned around Jesus? How do you plan your day? Is that planned around Jesus? How do you plan your life? How about your marriage, your relationship with your children? Is it planned around Jesus? How do you plan your work life? How do you plan your leisure life? Is everything? You can always tell it's quite easy. And, the, and I know at this point I'm making you feel really uncomfortable but tough. <laughs> See, the correct position, what they were saying, the correct position in regard to Jesus as his followers, is that Jesus is more important than anything else. And we have to, if we're going to demonstrate Jesus, then we have to say, okay, how does, how does that statement demonstrate who I am as a follower of Jesus in regards to the people that I touch? It's a good question, isn't it? We'll leave that because you've all gone quiet and you've stopped laughing. <laughs> John chapter 1 verse 27, this is, this, is, uh, this is John the Baptist speaking again. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not uh, worthy to untie. He's almost repeating the statement, he's just repeating it in a different way. So, and here John the Baptist demonstrates something of submission, and humility beyond what is expected in their society, so what happens for a slave or a student, if you are master, uh, whatever so students are you listening this you, you have to serve as elders, you have to serve us in every way, students, every way, we expect facials and all those sort of things. Uh, and uh, but you don 't have to take our shoes off it 's the one thing in biblical thought that you're not, you don 't have to do. Slaves or students don 't have to do that and John the Baptist here said look there 's no exceptions in regard to my relationship with Jesus. Nothing I find that Do you not find that moving and challenging?" There's no off-the-agenda things in regard to Jesus. There's nothing that I won't do. There's nothing that I won't become. There's nothing in my personality that I won't let be subject to, to Jesus. There's nothing in my character. No, I, I will do everything. It is meant to challenge us. You know, how much? How much? How important really is Jesus? Would I... Would I allow him to tip the balance in terms of my character and my diary, my plans, my hopes, my everything? Am I letting him do Would I, is there an, what is my untie the sandal for Jesus? He goes on a little bit later. uh, John chapter uh, 33, verse 30 says something similar. Uh, He says, He must increase and I must decrease. Is the truth guys we still live in a world particularly in terms of christianity where where we increase it's a lot to do with feelings and emotions christianity is today a lot to do with feelings and here he says no it's not to do with my feelings he must increase i must decrease he's saying the same thing and if you listen to this these, these verses, these three things, John keeps saying the same thing over and over again. And we'll come to this as to the reason why in a second. John the Baptist says in John chapter 1, verse 8, uh, 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 I'm not the light, he is. He says later on, uh, I, I, I'm not the Christ, he is. He says a little bit later on, I'm not an Elijah or a prophet. No, he is those things. He said, I, I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. That's, who, that's, who, that's how he defines his, himself. Look, no, I, I, I must decrease. I must untie his sandals. He ranks before me. And he seems to keep battering on with this same thing over and over again, keeps hitting us with the same thing. And you think, why is he saying that? And that's the key point here. And it's the key point. That, 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 uh, that the writer John wants us to know. Here's what I think. John doesn't actually repeat himself. I think there is something in the emotion of what he's saying to be discovered. And there's something in the emotion of these words for us to be discovered. And my answer as to why John the Baptist is using these words again and again, in, in a decreasing of self and an increasing of Jesus, I think that something happens in his heart. Namely that he has found that there is an abounding joy, a satisfying joy to be had through the dynamic of Jesus getting bigger and me getting smaller. That the two are intrinsically linked. Why would you want to sell something that, that actually just defaces you and makes you utterly useless to anybody? But something in this appears to release him, not b- bind him up. And I want to suggest to you that there is something within Jesus and knowing Jesus that brings an immense amount of joy that when we decree, that it changes us and our perspective. And that's what I want to look at as we go along. So uh, if you look at verse 29 of John chapter 1, it says this. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him. He rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Here's Jesus, portrayed as the bridegroom, and we as the rejoicing friend who hears. That's the dynamic. And when Jesus becomes greater in my world, and I become less in my world, he says this, my joy will increase. The two are connected. The two are connected. Now if you ask the question, how many Christians lead joyless lives? How many miserables do we have? (laughs) If you're honest, we have a lot, don't we? We have a lot of really... Miserable Christians. It is it's the problem of the church really. You know, would you come to my church? Not from my perspective, no. This is the non Christian looking at because they they don't look like they actually have received this eternal life. That's just, if we're just honest with ourselves. And I believe <laughs> it's because Christians still try and find joy apart from joy that there's a struggle apart from jesus that there is a struggle and it isn't that the joy isn't there for us it is there for us it just literally is that we we have not yet learned the greatest secret of christianity that our greatest joy comes from jesus and and that changes our perspective so in 1 Peter chapter eight, verse, uh, 1, Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. You see him, you love him, you believe in him, you rejoice in him. And in that process, you get filled with an inexpressible joy. This is, what sort of joy is this? This is not one of these joys, now. Joy to the world. It's not like this. When we see an inexpressible joy, it's a bursting joy. It's sort of something that just blows, boom, out of us. It bursts out of us. Uh, you know, I look, I, I come from strict Baptist things. My, my natural instinct is sh- shake the hand. How it's with you, brother. You know, that's... How is it with your soul? Miserable. But it's all right. It's this. The joy that Jesus wants you to have is bursting. That's the joy. That's inexpressible is. Bursting, overwhelming joy is, is your destiny. It's your promise, folks. It's what you should have. So how do you get that? Sorry, Rachel, we're coming up again to the other, the other Rachel's celebration. Joy. Joy, you get what you desire and you receive the quality of what you desire. Do you get that? In terms of joy, you get what you desire, you get what you want and you receive the quality of what you desire. So, what gives joy its quality? And I don't mean intensely. Because uh, we can have intense moments of joy. I had an amazing intense day of joy because i had the privilege of of walking my daughter uh, up the aisle to 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 marry well just a oh, <laughs> that wasn't the joy but no sorry that wasn't the joy <laughs> but there is there is <laughs> there is i yeah, for a dad i would say uh, one thing Rupert true Holding your child in your arms for the first time is just bursting joy. Second point for me as a dad, after those put apart from riding bikes and stuff like that, second point, me walking my daughter down the aisle. That would be it. I don't care anything what you thought, it was my joyous moment. It was. It was an intense moment. I didn't know where to cry, laugh, fall over. I, I had so many emotions just going through my, my mind. But the thing was, what was extraordinary is that when you wake up the next day, it, in some ways, it was a little bit like a dream. Now, I know it wasn't for them, but I mean, I just think, you know, we built up so much for this. We worked so hard for it. We planned so much for it. And and those moments of just walking down, which were actually seconds, which were immense emotion for me, ended in a... Gone. You wake up in the morning and you think, that's my hired trousers that are hanging over the light shades over here. Where did that come from? And... And that was Addie Kelly. <laughs> it was just like, where did that go? You see, the answer is, and you think I'm joking. No, it's just... <laughs> oh dear. You come out to the bathroom and there's bridesmaids' dresses. And, and we'd, we'd had this thing, sorry, just diverted. We'd had this thing, don't touch the bridesmaids' dresses. And so they had to be... <coughs> Everything went like, you know, this sort of thing. You know, uh, when we had the car, you know, all you know, oh, the bridesmaids' dresses, they had to be caressed. You want to see them the next morning? They're upside down, scruntled. It looks like they went, beds, um, um, bed. And they just got out. So you come out of the thing and you go, what the heck was that? Your trousers are hanging over the light shade and the bridesmaids' dresses are just on the floor. And you just think, where did I go? Anyway, get back to task the answer is the thing you enjoy the thing enjoyed gives joy its character, right? So this was momentary, so the joy experienced was momentary. get it? Oh look, it's simple. so let's just talk about this i I had an engineering background so <laughs> I I you know, most of my mates, they they enjoy dirty jokes, gutter language and distortions of sexuality. I, you know, to be honest and, and I don't mean this in any way, shape or form, and please don't come and minister to me afterwards that that you daren't be in any strange position in a factory where you're picking up something because some people will they will do some terrible things to you. Literally. And so you're forever defending yourself, which they think is highly funny. They think it's highly funny to, to sexually uh, uh, abuse you uh, as, as a joke. And that was how, from 16, 15 onwards, the whole joke of, of the company that I worked for was basically that. They thought it was hilarious. You see, what does that reflect? It reflects that their joy is gained... There, that's where it's coming from. It's coming from a heart uh, that is just terrible. You see, sometimes people laugh, at you? They, they seem to enjoy cruelty and arrogance and revenge. Where's that coming from then? What heart is that coming from? <laughs> well, the more you get your joy from material things, as I've said, the more your joy will sh- be shaped and come from those material things. You become what you desire. That's the truth of it. You become what you desire. You are what you long for. If it's short-lived, it will be short-lived. Peter says in, in those verses that a Christian's joy is inexpressible and glorified. So how does it become like that? It becomes like that because when Christians... When Christian joy is the joy of craving the value of Jesus and the reliability of Jesus and the character of Jesus and so on and so on and so forth, it becomes inexpressible because he himself is inexpressible. It's the same dynamic as eternal life. You have eternal life. You are eternal. He gives you your joy. It is inexpressible because that's him. You have him in you. That's the way that it works. So Jesus in these verses is explained that he's the, the glory of the universe and God. So that's what you get. That's our joy. It's a glorified joy. The joy that comes when we focus our, our, our everything on Jesus is massive. It's eternal. It's powerful. It's overwhelming. It's big. That's the way that it is. That's why it's bursting. Here's the thing. Man is designed by God for exceeding happiness. Not mundane run of the life. That's part of the deal when you become a Christian. Part of the deal of becoming a Christian is that you change in regard to the way that you experience life itself. So you're, not, you're, not, you're supposed to go along the road going, Monday, 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 Christian! That's the idea, because you're the one going round Eagles Meadow, going, oh God, that's the way, and everybody goes, oh, no, I can't, no, no, don't, I'm not going to do that, not do that, you know, I'm not going to go, don't want to be people to see me. That's the blooming idea, folks. The idea is that you're supposed to be able to look out and say that one has inexpressible joy. That's what. That's the idea. That is the gospel. The gospel is that somebody goes to you and goes, what the heck is the matter with you? And you go, right on! (laughs) That's the idea. It isn't, you're so miserable, what's the matter with you? Now, I have a problem with this. Let me just confess. The reason is that joy does not come simply to me. I want you to know that, because sometimes you look at me and you go, that's the loon on the front row, okay? Okay? I know that. you know you think that. That's why you all sit there and not by me. And I know that because I've caused my wife so much harm in worship over the years. She's blue and black because I've just done things. But I just wanted to, you know, joy in Jesus is not something that comes naturally to me. I, I know that I am negative by nature. These guys will tell you that. I am always glass half empty I'm always, Phil will come and and say, Steve does this, and Phil. They go, did you see the 75 things that God did this morning? And I go, and what about the one thing that went wrong? That's my inclination. You're all looking at me going, it's not me. (laughs) Liars. (laughs) You see, the joy in the splendor of Jesus does not actually come spontaneously to me. I'm not that way inclined. But this is what I know. It comes to me when I purposefully look at him again and again and again. So the reason that I am noticing the negative is that I'm not noticing him. Why do you see the negative? Why do you pick up the negative? Why do you focus on the negative? Because you don't see Jesus. That's the thing. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his... Please finish it. Okay. You see, here's my failed qualification for grumpiness. And it's not a good one. My life has not been easy. Please, sympathy. Still paying for the wedding. No, (laughs) sir. No. But do you know... You know that seems to be the the qualification for for no joy, no nothing. Is that that's the qualification? Is it? Don't you know my life is not easy? I, I Paul has no reason for joy, does he? I, I think that I think that everything was stacked against him, and we often read this great person. This is my conclusion. So we're on the end here. There were countless things that were. Have you ever read that passage in Corinthians and thinking? And, and now be happy, fella. Have you, ever, have you read that? Have you read it? I want, I want you to think about this. Okay, this is Paul. Okay, Paul. I want you to be a happy chappie. Smile, Paul. This is Paul. I've been in prison more frequently, <laughs> flogged more severely. Being exposed to death, Belinda, again and again. (laughs) Five times, not four, five, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Wouldn't you have not gotten on the boat the next time? (laughs) I spent a night and a day in an open sea. I have constantly been on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and from bandits. I've been in danger from fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been... (laughs) Where can he go? I've been in danger in the sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I've labored. I've toiled. I've gone without sleep. I have known hunger. I've been thirsty. I've gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And I love this statement. And besides everything else, almost as if to say, and on top of this... I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> he looks at this and he goes, Bandits, forget the bandits, it's the churches that does it. Don't you read that up? Oh, perhaps you don't read your Bible. Forget that. I would rather have been shipwrecked than face these blasted churches. <laughs> I just don't, don't you think that no, you just don't look at it. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, so funny. Floggings, give me floggings, but churches don't want churches. Just flog me. Oh, just so funny. And yet, what does Paul say in terms of this? Two Corinthians. He writes to these same people. He said, yeah, okay, we've been sorrowful, but we're rejoicing. Now look, this therefore cannot be circumstantial, can it? It just can't be. If it's circumstantial... Don't do any more, Paul. It cannot be circumcised. It has to be something else. Therefore, it has to be Jesus. Has to be. Somehow, something gets him through this laughing. How do you get through that laughing? I don't know. This is a deep, durable delight in Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when you've got that? It fuels your heart for mission and evangelism. It helps a man and woman that are struggling to make their marriage work and they're wondering whether they should have ever been married in the first place. Suddenly, Jesus comes in the centre of it and brings the whole thing in perspective. It prepares... It, it empowers. People. Do you know? Having worked a little bit in Hong Kong for a while, I have seen this Jesus overcome addictive natures in regard to drugs and prostitution. This is what Jesus does. When Jesus does that, He delivers. He sets the captives free. That's what he does. He enables the heart to persevere in the loss of a job or the death of a loved one. Something occurs in us where Jesus becomes the focus and he goes, "I can do this now because of this person." It encourages the timid heart to be strong. It encourages the church through hard times to persevere. It helps us when we're struggling with with who we are and what we should be in our identity. Jesus is the liberator of all things and will always be that. There's only one person that can do this for you and his name is Jesus. There is only one joy that can overcome all other joys and that is the joy of knowing Jesus. Why did God make us? He made you to be miserable. No, he made you to glorify himself being intensely satisfied and uh, and happy in him man's chief end is to glorify god and enjoy him forever hallelujah amen let's go home